0: I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. Last week, I took the time to define anger and to talk about the way anger works in our brains. This week, I'm going to finish up this two-part series on anger with ways to cope and manage anger and rage episodes. We'll discuss core beliefs that trigger anger as well as coping skills. You'll need a journal or a notebook today. So go ahead and pause here and grab something to write with. There are three components in anger management. The first is dialing back the intensity of anger we experience. The second is recognizing inappropriate behaviors and the third is replacing those inappropriate behaviors with appropriate ones. Sounds simple, right? (laughs) No, not simple at all, though it, like any of the other skills and tips I've discussed on this podcast, will take practice, effort, consistency, or self-discipline and patience. Practicing these anger management techniques will also help you practice your moral compass work. Bonus, right? So a lot of this material is taking out of the book anger, taming the beast. So if you haven't checked that out, definitely go ahead and do that. The first thing we'll discuss today are two roadblocks that you may have when it comes to anger. The first roadblock is this false belief or myth that self-control isn't possible and that you can't control your temper because that's just part of you. If you find yourself saying things like, well, I just can't help myself. It's just the way I am. Or I was born this way. Or how about this one I read on message boards a lot. I have BPD. Deal with it. Well, this message is for you. Take a look at the places that you have had anger or rage episodes. You probably exercise way more control in your life than you think. Do you have Anger or rage episodes at work, at church, at the grocery store, in the middle of a public place with lots of people there? Or do you only blow up in places where there aren't any serious, immediate negative consequences, like at home, with family, around children, friends, or a loved one? The second roadblock is minimizing the consequences of intense anger. Let's take parenting for a minute. Even if you don't have kids you were a kid once or you know people with kids I'm sure right even dog parents actually all right do you ever lose it on your kid or your dog kid do you think you to yourself well I'm a good parent my kids are happy kids bounce back it's just a dog they'll be fine I hear that a lot in coaching and therapy sessions with clients and then I also hear that their children are modeling or mimicking these behaviors Sometimes it's a four-year-old with a bad temper. And sometimes it's an older child that is quick to anger and says the same things and does the same things the parent does when they get angry. How about your dog? Does your dog cower when you get that certain angry posture? Does your dog get its tail between its legs and like cower in the corner or pee on the rug when you get angry? Okay. So sometimes with children, there is one child with a bad temper and another who is anxious, withdrawn, shy. Your anger has a large impact on your children, but minimizing it allows us to rationalize the behavior and becomes a roadblock to change. How about in relationships? You may have anger that goes from 0 to 60, and you say a whole bunch of stuff you don't mean. When you go back to zero, you don't realize that your loved one stays in the pain of what you said, waiting for you to go back to 60. And maybe you guys make up and you think, oh, we're cool, everything is fine, it's over. But it's over for you, not them. So that is another way we minimize the consequences and rationalize our own angry behaviors. So let's overcome these roadblocks. We need truth to create change, right? Truth one. I have the ability to control my behavior. Truth number two, poor anger management hurts the people I love and has negative lasting consequences. Truth number three, the inappropriate behaviors that I engage in are a result of things I have learned and need to stop practicing. All right, write them down. Go back, listen to that again and again. Write it down, post it around your house, post it on your mirror, write it on a index card and put it in your pocket. Ingrain these in your mind, bringing them into your conscious awareness, which is part of mindfulness. And that will help you maintain more control during your next outburst. If you don't believe me, try it. All right. Next, you want to figure out why you are doing this work. What is your motivator for lessening your anger intensity. What are the reasons that you want to manage your anger and rage? Is it for your kids? For your partner? To stop being a tyrant? For your own sanity? Write them down. Write down all of the negative consequences you have experienced as a result of your anger and read these daily. Once in the morning, and once in the evening and even in the afternoon if you're a particularly angry bird to keep this as a reminder for why you are trying to change. When I say negative consequences, I'm talking about abusive behavior. With a quick temper and what people term quote-unquote rage episodes, there's abuse. I mean think about it, rage episodes. How are you not abusive in a rage episode? So let's look at all the different kinds of abuse a minute and define it. Emotional abuse is when we try to control someone else's behavior or the way they think, like calling them names or blaming them or belittling them, saying they are stupid, accusing them of leaving you or threatening to leave them. Physical abuse. That's like using force, physical force to exert control, right? So assaulting someone with a weapon or slapping grabbing shoving pulling choking scratching or preventing someone from leaving the house i mean i've had lots of people do some of these things right people who are very sweet kind compassionate and in an anger episode they don't want their partner to leave the house because they're scared of them abandoning them so they block the exit to the home not okay not a good idea all right sexual abuse financial abuse so financial abuse is the use of money to gain power and control over a relationship. So that would look like denying access to money, stealing, even refusing to work, refusing to be a contributor to the household, or even holding on to all the money. How about getting someone fired? You ever do that? Repeatedly calling the job so that person gets fired or writing a letter to the boss saying they did something causing someone to get evicted because you're that angry it's abusive all right and lastly let's talk about spiritual abuse so there are two kinds of spiritual abuse there's religious and then non-religious so with religious spiritual abuse it's anytime you'd use religion to justify abuse this is so heartbreaking to me it really is i hear this so much and a lot of parents of individuals I've worked with have done this to their kids, using God to justify their abuse. And it's wrong. Okay, people, it's abusive. It pushes people away from God. and makes them think that God is bad and that, you know, like really shuts the door to spiritual relationships. So that's abusive. Okay. Not allowing someone in your current relationship to practice their religion freely. That's also abusive. Non-religious spiritual abuse is a bit different. This one is when you don't let the person you love take a promotion, go to school, have hobbies or friends outside of you, or hold opinions that are different from yours. That's important. Essentially, when you take away the ability of someone else to have meaning or purpose, you are practicing that spiritual non-religious abuse. This is one common covert practice of individuals with borderline personality disorder, unfortunately. You know, like when your boyfriend gets a job with hot girls around, so you don't want him to go to work anymore because you think he'll cheat on you? Mm, You get the idea, right? Pretty common thing I've heard. So if you're saying, no, I've never done that, well, I'm going to call your BS, okay? Figure out which type of abuse or types of abuse you commit in your tyrannical mindset and write them down, where you can read them daily, twice a day, so that you can remind yourself why you are embarking on a journey to stop being abusive to begin with. Bring that into your conscious awareness, as painful as it may be. As children, all of us have most likely experienced one or more of these types of abuse. And there is a high likelihood that it wasn't called abuse by our caregivers because they experienced the same roadblocks I was just speaking of, the minimizing the impact of anger on those around them. As adults, we just mirror that abusive behavior. So now what I want you to do is pause the podcast Write down any of the abuse that you have experienced as a child and then identify any abuse that you have done as an adult when you are angry. Now that you have brought that into your conscious awareness, we can talk about immediate strategies to overcome your temper. Some people have explosive anger that is directed outward. Some people have implosive anger that is directed inward. These strategies should work for both. If you have intense anger, you need to take an adult-sized time out. Sounds pretty easy, right? You get angry, you take a time out. No. Remember, the stuff you do now is ingrained in you. So this will take effort and practice and will seem like it doesn't work at first. Trust the process. There There are several ways to do the time out. You can end in conversation and make an excuse to leave the situation. Then you can do some tactical breathing, like I talked about in the last episode, while you have stepped away and read those statements you have just written about anger and the reasons why you are managing your anger. It's also a good idea to put off doing things until you are calm once more. Sometimes it'll take an hour or more to calm down and other times it'll just take a few minutes. If you are at home and you get angry with your kids, You can tell the household that everybody needs a timeout. Don't take action, just delay it. Walk away, have everybody go to separate spaces, and practice taking time and distance so that you can calm down and produce a more rational response rather than just react. If this doesn't work, and you find you are much more abusive and intense than what the above allows for, take these steps. Step one, say... I'm angry and I need a break. Say this out loud to focus your conscious awareness on what you are doing because that intense anger is often unconscious because remember, it's deeply ingrained. Take charge of your behavior. Don't say you're making me angry or you're making me lose control. Those statements are blaming and they escalate the situation. Just say, I'm getting angry and take immediate responsibility for your emotions. Next, You need to leave the space you are in for an hour. You can go to a different room if you aren't that intensely angry, or you need to leave. And your partner or whoever the anger is directed at needs to give you space to do this. Go somewhere where you will be left alone. If you have kids that are under your care, just go outside. Take a walk if you're able. During this hour, you have to do something physical. You can't be physically charged. And emotionally charged at the same time. So you want to take that power away from the anger. Leave the house and call your leaving the house, excuse me, and calling your mom or your bestie to vent will get you more pissed off. Remember last week we said venting actually helps you stew in your emotion and makes it worse. So don't do that. Go to the gym, go for a walk, sprint, go outside and run as fast as you can, play guitar or a musical instrument. Put headphones in and listen to not-angry music loudly while walking to drone out those angry thoughts. Do tactical breathing. Cook something from scratch. If you are able to be home, dance. Dance crazily. (laughs) You get the idea. Do something that is physical. Don't drive now if you're someone who angry drives. You know who you're talking about. (laughs) You know you people that put the pedal to the metal when you're mad. That's dangerous. So don't do that. After the hour, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go to the person that you were angry with and just say, I'm back from my break and I calm down. And if you can't calm down, ask to wait to have a conversation until the next day. If you still cannot discuss the topic, continue to time out or have a break schedule and seek professional help. Go to a counselor. Don't let conversations and resentment build up in your relationship if you have anger issues and just let them fester because that will create dissolution of a relationship if you need to get help you need to get help it might only take a session to discuss that one issue remember though your first priority is always to stop the abusive behavior time outs help you gain control over your behavior and most importantly, they help you reestablish trust with the people that you love. Now, here are some things you need to remember that timeouts aren't. Timeouts are not to be abused. You can't say, huh, I'm going to take a timeout every time there is a difficult issue to discuss. That's mean and unfair. You also can't take a timeout to punish the person you are upset with. That's still abusive. You also can't take a time out and go to visit a friend or go shopping. That's selfish and hurtful to the person you are angry with. If you do these things, they just become more tools to manipulate and abuse loved ones. Listen, guys, it's hard to take timeouts. Some people believe it's cowardly to walk away and other people need to win. And even yet other people need to feel that the problem needs to be solved right then and there because the emotions are too uncomfortable. But none of these beliefs are truths. They are all rationalizations to continue engaging in angry, abusive behaviors. Remember that it is more important to control your behavior and to stop abusing others. To stop being tyrannical. Write that down. And put it on a card in your pocket if you need to. Remember why you are doing this work to begin with. And remember that rebuilding trust within a relationship will take time. It'll take time for your partner and loved ones to trust that you can remain calm and not be abusive. And it will take time for you to trust that you can take a timeout and your loved one won't leave or abandon you. Taking timeouts is hard, so don't wait until you are in a rage episode to do it. So here's a bonus work for you, okay? Take practiced timeouts. Review the new skill with your partner and practice it. They will respect your efforts to control your abusive behavior and will trust you more over time. If you can't take a time out when you don't need one, you won't take a time out when you do need one. Are you tired of feeling frustrated, resentful, or disconnected from your family, friends, and partner? Thrive Mind Body LLC Mindset Coaching and Counseling can help you. Visit us on the web at thriveonlinecounseling.com. Again, that's thriveonlinecounseling.com and receive 10% off your first session pack with coupon code Thrive10. See you then. Let's talk now about some core beliefs that perpetuate intense anger. Inappropriate anger often stems from having irrational beliefs and expectations. There are several contributing factors, but today I just want to focus on mindful awareness of abusive behavior and anger myths, timeouts, and now combating irrational beliefs and expectations. Remember from the last episode that a threat in the environment either causes us to feel anger anger or fear, depending on whether or not we can overcome that threat. Intense and inappropriate anger comes when we perceive a threat that doesn't exist, or when we exaggerate or hyperbolize a threat. What causes this, you might be asking yourself? Well, in part, it is the messages you received in childhood, like when you are told you're a disappointment, You're dumb, you're a loser, you're slow, you're irresponsible, you're lazy, you're fat, you're stupid, and other degrading things. Which of these negative labels were used to describe you when you were young? Take some time to write it out. Pause this episode if you need to. You really need to figure out which of those labels were used to describe you because now I'm going to ask you, which of those labels do you use now to describe yourself? Are they even true anymore? It's likely that you are just repeating what was told to you as a child, and words can hurt. If you receive the message that you weren't good enough, and you tell yourself now that you aren't good enough, it's time to reevaluate what you say to yourself. Is that even true, or are you just doing what you know, what's familiar? Time to replace those old messages and labels with accurate and positive words to describe yourself. Did your mom or dad or caregiver call you stupid and yell at you when you make a mistake? As an adult, when you make a mistake, do you get angry at yourself and tell yourself you're stupid? When you had an extra snack as a kid that your parents probably bought for you, did they call you fat? When you eat a snack, do you call yourself fat? After all these years, this is a habit. Now it's time to change the tape. Change the way you look at mistakes, for example. Say, I am good at what I do, but I'll make mistakes from time to time. Most mistakes aren't that big of a deal. They're just part of learning. So, in other words, you stop focusing on the mistake and you focus on correcting it. Or with the food example. You could say food is fuel. Without food, my body wouldn't get the nutrients it needs to function. There aren't good and bad foods. A snack is fine to have in moderation. Just because I have a snack doesn't make me fat or ugly. Write it down. Writing it down makes it real and visual. When you make a mistake or have a snack or do whatever it is that you do to pattern that behavior you were taught, read what you have written down. At first, the old behavior will still occur. It's a habit like, you know, biting your nails. But over time, the daily reminder will help you remember to do things differently you'll start to challenge those old negative labels. I mean, after all, you're an adult now. You don't have to call yourself stupid. You can stop and think, wait a minute, what am I doing? I'm not stupid, I just made a mistake. It's simple as a tool, but it's effective if you commit to doing it. New thoughts will gradually replace the old ones. So why does this work, okay? It works because when we have negative labels, like calling ourselves stupid when we make a mistake. It makes the mistake so much bigger than it needs to be. It can't just be a mistake, in other words. It has to be that you're stupid and you made a mistake, so you have to belittle yourself. And you can't just fix the mistake mistake now and move on. Even the snack example. You can't just eat a snack. You have to make yourself feel bad and tell yourself that you're fat and you can't just eat a snack and enjoy it. So the negative label makes the problem bigger, so much bigger than it needs to be. And not only that, to top it off, it also reactivates pain from childhood. When you call yourself stupid, when you make a mistake, you don't just feel stupid and get mad at yourself. You also feel all that old shame and guilt and pain from childhood coming back up. So that then intensifies the emotion. When you eat a snack that you perceive to be bad because of something you learned in your history, you call yourself fat and ugly, and then you start to feel that guilt and shame that you felt when you were a kid, and it makes it that much bigger and that much more intense. You can stop yourself from getting into that pain of the past by using accurate and more up-to-date positive labels. You don't have to bear the burden of that shame and guilt from childhood anymore, you can choose a different path. After all, you aren't that person anymore. Many of you listening to this podcast, I would assume, are above the age of 18. You can have a snack without worrying who's going to stand over your shoulder and tell you that you're ugly and you're fat for doing it, and you could make a mistake because, hey, you're human, and everyone makes mistakes without feeling like you're not good enough or like you're a failure. But you have to change the tape, change that narrative. In addition to these negative labels, we also develop beliefs that cause us to misinterpret events. Let's call them erroneous beliefs. People that have intense anger or rage often believe the following things. And this isn't just people with borderline personality disorder, folks. This is people with like anger and rage issues separate from personality disorder. These are things that lots of people who get really angry believe. All right. Number one, I should... Life should be fair. Number two, because I want something very much, I should have it. Number three, I should be able to change another person's behavior. Number four, when someone hurts me or mistreats me, they deserve to be punished. Okay, so I'm sure you're sitting there thinking, eh, I don't believe those things. A lot of people won't admit to or don't even, aren't even aware that they hold those erroneous beliefs. But oftentimes, it's hard to see it and admit it. Look at number four, for example. I talk a lot about moral compass work and forgiveness because it comes into play with this fourth erroneous belief. The definition of forgiveness is choosing that the person who wronged you doesn't have to pay or be punished for what they've done. People with borderline personality disorder have a really hard time with forgiveness because of number four on this erroneous belief list, that people mistreat us, deserve to pay or be punished. Listen to how you talk and react and notice when your thoughts and behaviors are shaped by these beliefs. All right, let's go into a little bit more detail with this life should be fair belief. I know that people with borderline personality disorder are typically concerned with things in the environment being unjust and unfair. If you think about the last thing that happened to you that was unfair or unjust, ask yourself, did you throw a tantrum? Well, if you did, then you believe that life should be fair. Here's the thing. In reality, life is terribly unfair. As I read that, I'm thinking to myself, man. I didn't really get that as a kid. I didn't really understand that life would be unfair. I thought that life was unfair and that I can manipulate my environment to make it as fair as I needed it to be. I never really understood that concept that like life isn't fair. Yeah, you know, crazy, right? But it's not fair. Bad things happen. Bad things happen to good people. And people do things that aren't fair. Even when the people around you try their best and they do the best they can, they can still do some things that just aren't fair. Total fairness isn't really possible to achieve because people and events are complex. Wanting life to be fair, even when it isn't or can't be, magnifies all the events that happen to you that aren't fair. It's like you're like looking for it now. So it makes them seem way bigger than they actually are. Now, here's a kicker, right? Get this. A lot of the times when people say that life's not fair, what they really mean is, I didn't get what I wanted. That's why we call the rage episodes and anger episodes tantrums, because it's no different than a child who doesn't get what they want. Life's not fair. Tell a child they can't have ice cream or go out to see their friends or go swimming after they ate food. It's not fair is usually the first reaction, right? What's not fair? It's, it, it's not even that. It's not even about that. It means that life's not fair because they didn't get what they wanted, right? Really, like, what's not fair? It's not fair that you get a consequence because of a behavior? Or it's not fair that you have to eat dinner before you eat ice cream? Meh. It's just that you didn't get what you wanted. So when you're focusing on whether or not life is fair as an adult, you have to ask yourself, Are you actually being mistreated? Is someone hurting you? Is something really not fair? Is somebody physically, emotionally, or otherwise abusing you? Or did you just not get what you wanted? If you're throwing a tantrum, you have to recognize and remind yourself that you can tolerate being frustrated. And that, honestly guys, it's totally okay to be disappointed because you didn't get what you wanted. Or even sad. This one is really hits home for me because I didn't understand that disappointment was a thing. <laughs> like, I mean, obviously I've felt disappointment before, but it never dawned on me into like adulthood that if I didn't get what I wanted, I could just be disappointed and sad, period. I didn't have to feel guilt and shame and hurt others and lash out. Like I could just be disappointed. So if that sounds like you and you're pra- you need to practice being disappointed because those are completely, totally fine and justifiable emotions, but it's not okay to have a tantrum and to perpetuate this notion that life's not fair just because you didn't get what you wanted. Tantrums damage relationships and they keep you from your goals. The hard truth is that injustice and inequality are facts of life. Sometimes people act unjustly, and sometimes they do it deliberately. And honestly, sometimes they don't. Even people with good intentions could act unjustly or commit injustice because of a lack of knowledge or an accident. So take the focus off of the belief that life is unfair and figure out whether or not a real need of yours is being frustrated or threatened. Once you do that, create a plan and improve the situation that you're in. It's really difficult for us to make choices when we feel like life isn't fair. Because we still feel that emotion. But remember that choice is a very powerful thing. It can be freeing if you choose the path or direction that you go in when you get angry. Instead of making your goal to make life fair. Which is an impossible goal to meet. So let me go over these erroneous beliefs once more before I wrap up this episode. Number one life's not fair. Number two, because I want something, I should have it. Number three, I should be able to change another person's behavior. Number four, when others hurt or mistreat me, they deserve to be punished. Do you get angry when you don't get what you want or when someone refuses to change their behavior or when you want to punish someone because of something they said or did? Then you hold one of these four erroneous beliefs. All right, so you have to start changing that tape and changing that narrative so that you can break free of the hold that anger has on you. You don't want to be a slave to anger. Okay, so this is part two of the anger series, and I really hope that was helpful. It at least gives you a place to jumpstart your anger management process, and we'll get more into that in later episodes, but right now we're going to do a QA. and a Hi, Rose. This is Alan. I hope you're doing great. Uh, I was wondering have you or any of your clients ever had um, intrusive, negative memories or thoughts on a daily basis? It's like when somebody's switching the channel on the television over and over and you don't have the control. Um, This has happened to me for a long time already, and um, it affects me because they're so vivid and they affect my emotions. And I'm not present Um, it's they've affected me so much that you know there was a point where I was scared to drive just because I wasn't present while driving and my reflexes became so bad Um, so I was just wondering thank you very much have a great day hi Alan I'm doing well thank you so much for submitting this question So intrusive thoughts are a component of anxiety like OCD and someone asked me this in group the other night. So I believe that borderline personality disorder exists on a spectrum because it's a disorder of temperament. So it's something that really you're born with, with, you know, a different a different temperament or a hyperbolic temperament, and you're highly sensitive as a child. And so the other things that come along with having borderline personality disorder, like depression, anxiety, OCD, social anxiety, paranoia, ADHD, ADD, they all exist under this umbrella of borderline personality disorders. So it's very possible that you may be experiencing some OCD-like or even OCD itself, intrusive thoughts. But here are some things to remember about intrusive thoughts. Number one, everybody has intrusive thoughts. Even people without disorder has, have these thoughts. The second thing to remember is that your thoughts aren't real. They're not reality. They're just thoughts. Thoughts come and go, just like the air we breathe. And three, if you try to suppress your thought, it just doesn't work. You can't just not think about a thought and expect it to just go away, especially if you're someone who ruminates. So you're probably asking yourself, well, what do I do? Okay, well, for someone without borderline personality disorder or anxiety, a thought would just come and go as quickly as it came. For example, if you see someone fixing a roof and then like you think about them falling or you envisioning, envision them falling, I mean that happens and that's like a horrific thing to think about, right? They'd probably die if they were going to fall off a roof. But if that thought happens to someone without a disorder, they don't tend to think more about it and stew in it and ruminate over it. So I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not the thought itself that's hurting you. It's the thoughts that come from the thought, <laughs> I hope that makes sense. So if I were to think about the guy falling, the roofer falling off of the roof, and then I were to think, oh my gosh, why did I think that? Am I a bad person? Do I want the roofer to fall off the roof? Like, do I want people to die? Do I wish harm on other people? And then I start to remember a time where I may have saw someone fall off a roof. You see, so I can get get stuck in that and ruminate and that. Is actually the issue with intrusive thoughts. So there's good news because the best treatment for rumination for intrusive thoughts is CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy because CBT will teach you how to have a thought and then let it go rather than getting stuck in the thoughts about your thoughts. So I really appreciate and thank you for your question, Alan, because yes, it's totally normal to have these intrusive thoughts. But when you find yourself ruminating and getting stuck in them, it's time for some help. And a bonus good news is that it's way easier to find a clinician that specializes in cognitive behavioral therapy. So if you're just seeking help for intrusive thoughts, you ought to be able to find someone, even someone covered by your insurance, that can do some brief um, cognitive behavioral therapy to help you with this problem. So if you find that you're dissociating, though, Because I heard some of that, it's hard to tell without knowing your specific story, but I did hear that, you know, maybe that causes dissociative episodes a little bit. So I just want you to be sure to go back and listen to the episode that I did a few weeks ago about dissociation and be practicing those tactical breathing and grounding techniques. All right, Alan, thank you so much for your question. I hope this helps. If you want to submit a question, you can do what Alan did or you can send me an email or give me a call at Rose at thriveonlinecounseling.com, or you can talk to Jay, J-A-Y, at thriveonlinecounseling.com. You can give us a call, too, toll-free, 844-984-7483. Thanks, everybody. Okay, thanks for listening. That was from Borderline and Beautiful. A production of Thrive Mind Body LLC, online coaching that helps frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at thriveonlinecounseling.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or any app that you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every Monday. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message